Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 126. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. We have with us today an expert on vacation rentals, and I want to give you a little introduction to Mr. Stevens here. He is a co-founder of Avalara, if I'm saying that right, My Lodge Tax, the leading provider of tax compliance solutions for a vacation rental industry. But for those of you that go, ah, oh, taxes, he's going to talk a lot more about a lot more than just taxes. So don't be scared off. He's got some great advice for us today. But My Lodge Tax was founded by vacation rental owners, including Rob, so they know how much time and energy goes into maintaining a vacation rental. And the added stress of lodging tax compliance can be overwhelming. It can just be so stressful. So he has co-founded this company to um, help manage the stress of that and help people weave their way through the maze of what can be very complex. So he and his team of experts serve homeowners, property managers, hotel operators, and other businesses, helping them stay compliant so they can get back to doing what they love making money, right? So with that, welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks for having me, Holly. Well, thanks for joining us. So why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself and how you got into this business? Yeah, sure. So uh, probably like a lot of your listeners, um, you know, I invested in a second home, uh, a short-term rental property. You know, I live in Denver, Colorado. So those of us that live and grew up here, we're skiers and you know, owning mountain property is a, is a goal for a lot of us. So I think like a lot of people that get into short-term rentals, it's partly a lifestyle decision and an investment. And it was, that's, that was the case for us. So um, about 20 years ago, we purchased our first uh, second home in, in Vail. And, you know, as a young professional, you know, I didn't have the income just to own that property outright, you know, had a mortgage, you know, had bills to pay. So I really needed income on that property to be able to own it. And, you know, it was 1999. So somebody had told me about a little website called VRBO. So I put it on the internet and it was really a kind of a game changing experience. Listing it on the internet generated, you know, tons of bookings and, you know, very efficiently. I think we paid VRBO $120 a year for a subscription, whereas, you know, property manager was charging 40 to 50% of gross rent. So very, you know, very expensive, very different model. So the internet and I think technology really empowered this, but I kind of fell into it. It was a great experience, but doing that, I realized, you know, managing my own property, I have to talk to guests, I have to collect money. I ideally have to collect credit cards, rental agreements, uh, maintenance and cleaning services. And then one of the things was I had to collect remit sales and lodging taxes. And it was really doing that myself for a couple of years, one realizing how powerful these short-term rental sites were in generating rent for my property, but then realizing how complicated that little tax piece was inspired us to create a solution that is now the company we have today to, to help people with it. Wow, that is a really great story. So do you still have that property today? So we don't have that property. We sold that property and uh, you know, did a 1031 exchange and bought another property that we own that property about, about seven years. And you know, if you ever ask me about my best deal, we, 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 that property tripled in value over about eight, seven or eight years. 
Wow. Kind of 1999 to 2007. If you remember those times when you're in real estate, that probably was a bubble, right? When your property goes up that much. And so uh, we, we sold it and bought another one. The second one we bought in really at the peak of the market, um, un, uh, unknowingly, and, and you know, mortgage financing was very difficult, but, but we bought a second one and that was a different experience. We had to be very patient uh, to kind of you know, uh, see the money come back or the value come back on that one because it did go down significantly after we bought it, but we waited long enough and it kind of came back. And then about a year ago, we sold that one and, and bought an, another property in Vail and renovated it and now all these are short-term rentals to, to generate income. But so that's a long answer to a simple question of it. We, we don't have that property, but we still have property in Vail. Very interesting. May I ask, was it a condo or a townhome or a house or what was it? Yeah, like a lot of these resort markets, it was a condo. So they've all been condos. Uh, the second one was a condo tell which I didn't realize how bad that was in terms of raising, in terms of getting a mortgage on until we were into it. Um, but yeah, these, these are all condos, which you know, mitigates the kind of the maintenance and, and some of those things, but you got the HOA fees that go along with it. And then you have all the amenities that many people really love and appreciate that are the guests at Airbnb or VRBOs, right? Like the Absolutely. pool and the hot tub and whatever else there is. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell us um, a little bit more about your deals, maybe one, um, if you have any that were more challenging, and tell us a story about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I touched on it a little bit, but certainly our first property we bought in Vail was very successful, right? We bought it in 1999, and we actually sold it to our partner. We had a partner in that one, and we, we wanted our own property, and the partner wanted their own property, so we sold it to our partner. Um, and again, that was the peak of the market. So the, the, I'd say the next one, I mean, that, that deal was a great deal, you know, tripled in value over, over seven years. But then as we got into the next one, uh, that was very challenging. So we, A, we bought at the top of the market. B, um, mortgage financing went from being very, very simple. I had the perception that, you know, you know they were giving mortgages to anybody. And, and look, I was qualified borrower, all of that but it became very, very difficult to get a mortgage. And this was the fall, late fall of 2007. Unbeknownst to us, the mortgage markets were really collapsing behind the scenes. So we actually had to move around to different lenders, actually finding somebody that was a couple points above what kind of a market rate was. Hmm. We were locked into that high rate. Some of that had to do with, I think, the market. Some of it, it's a condo tell property, which apparently mortgage underwriters don't like. And so we... Um, you know, we were locked in at a pretty high mortgage rate for several years. Fortunately, the rents were helping with us. But after, I'd say two or three years later, probably more like three years, we were able to put some more capital down and refinance into a more traditional uh, financing, which, which dropped the rate by two or three percentage points, smaller loan amounts. So, you know, the economics of the property at that point became, you know, pretty, pretty manageable. We had to feed it for several years at the high rates, but once we were able to kind of recapitalize and refinance, um, you know, it got much more manageable. But then we owned it for another five, six, seven years, and I'd say just just selling it about a little over a year ago. And the okay. value finally come back, maybe a little bit more than what we originally paid for it. So did you end up making money at the end of the day on it, or it was a break-even or a loss, or what would you say? <laughs> I'd like to think it was break-even. It was, from a purchase price perspective, it was, 
it was probably 5% higher than what we paid, but we had, we had put about um, you know, $100,000 of improvements into it. So if you added everything together, we, we probably lost a little bit of money. Oh, ouch. Hey, I've, I've had worse, so um, <laughs> no judgment. Well, look, if you're going to be in real estate, right, you're going to have some really good deals and you're probably going to have some deals that aren't so great. It's just part of yes. the, doing it. And I've heard experts say, if you never lose money, you're not taking enough risk. So. Right, not in the game, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, why don't you tell us, um, now I have never done a vacation rental, so I'm going to be asking, you know, new beginner questions with no vacation rental experience. So what kind of, what is local lodging tax and what are some of the regulatory requirements, if there are any? And I guess taking a step further, is it, I'm assuming it varies widely city by city, state by state, right? Right. So Holly, when you say you've never done a vacation rental, does that mean you've never owned one or you never stayed in a, in a oh, short? Oh, good question. I've never owned one. I have stayed in them. Some right. good, some bad, but yes. Right. I mean, I think most people are familiar with beach vacations, ski vacations, summer retreats, cabins, things like that are familiar with it. But back to your question about the taxes. So um, you know, anytime you're short-term renting, which in most states is defined as less than 30 days, so if you're doing weekends, weeks, certainly nightly rentals, you, you basically trigger the same taxes that hotels have to pay. So this is the same type of hotel occupancy tax that a hotel would pay. It's called different things in different places. Uh, in, you know, in California, it's transient occupancy tax. In Texas, it's hotel tax. In Massachusetts, it's room tax. So it's called a lot of different things. Uh, it really is the same thing. It's a tax on overnight accommodation. Most people think of a hotel tax. Uh, and to your point, it does vary widely by city. There's four or 5,000 different jurisdictions across the U.S. And it's a, you know, could be a city tax, county tax, state tax, or the sum of all three. So it really varies based on where your property is located. To give you a specific example, like my property in Vail, it's a 9.8% tax and it's a Colorado State sales tax, Eagle County sales tax, and then Vail has their own tax as well. So that's a pretty common setup. Wait, so do you pay to three different entities, three different taxes to three different entities that sum up to 9.8%? So I pay to two different entities that sum up to 9.8%. I pay to the state of Colorado because they manage the state tax plus the county tax. So I don't have to pay the county, but I do have to pay the town of Vail as well which is, by the way, that's very common for most people involved in short-term rentals. They do have to pay tax to typically two different agencies on average, which gets into some of the you know, complexity about it. Wow, yeah, very interesting. I know the vacation-like town I live in, Dana Point, California, has, um, we have four luxury, nice hotels, and I've heard it said, never talked to any city officials, that they collect so much hotel tax, uh, room tax, whatever it's called here locally, that they kind of don't know what to do with all the money. They just have so much money. So we have all these festivals and a free right. trolley bus service that goes up and down the coast and all these really nice amenities in the city um, that generate, that are generated from all our hotel taxes. So I don't know if the local Airbnb providers have to pay that too. You might know, but. Um. They, they definitely require to, I think, when you get into the short-term rental, the Airbnb community, there's uh, a lack of awareness. Um, 
You know, some people just don't know the rules. It's a not a tax that you and I as individuals typically are familiar with unless you've dealt with it before. So, um, you know, I think the industry has a ways to go in terms of people understanding the tax and paying the tax. And, and to your point, just what you're referencing, these taxes are a great revenue source for cities because it's a tax on visitors. So they're typically very high, like 10 to 15% of the rent. So if you charge somebody a $2,000 for the week, it's an additional 10 to 15%. And it's also very common that these taxes fund, you know, infrastructure or tourism development or lifeguards at the beach or beach cleaning or beach preservation. So, you know, it is very common that these taxes do go, you know, they are paid by tourists. They do go often directly to fund kind of tourism related activities and amenities. Yeah, well, I, I think I'm thankful for it since I don't have to pay it in my town. <laughs> I enjoy all the benefits. Exactly. It feels like vacation here. So what are, um, are there any specific regulatory requirement type of issues that people that don't know what they're doing or they're new jumping into this? How do you find out what they are? Yeah, that, that's been a big development over the last couple of years. You know, short-term rentals and now with Airbnb have become so popular. They're really ubiquitous, right? They're, they're everywhere. And as a result, a lot of cities are really focusing on that type of activity and adopting new rules and regulations. So, you know, the typical regulation is you, you just need to register with the city. That may be a business license. That may be some sort of short-term rental license or permit. And again, it varies by city. Those types of requirements are typically set at the city level. In some places, it's very easy. It's a one-page form. Uh, sometimes you gotta pay a $20 fee. In some places, it's very rigorous where you have to complete a lot of paperwork, show proof of insurance, uh, have an inspection that you have fire alarms and you know, fire extinguishers, and the typical, you know, get a health and safety type requirements. That, that's, you know, that's a little unusual, that's on the extreme end, but generally there's some sort of registration at the city level, and, and you know, the advice we give to people, if they wanna you know, figure this out on their own, is just check with your city, you know, and, and you know, tell them what you're doing. It's a short-term rental, not a long-term rental. The requirements obviously are very different. And, you know, when you get to the right people in the city, they can help guide you through those requirements. Now, I'm talking about kind of the, 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 the regulation. That's really at the city level. There still is, like we talked about, tax at the county and state level very frequently as well. So, you, you know, don't forget about the state. Uh, you, you may have to start with the city, but the state's likely involved as well. Wow, that's a lot. Um, what cities and our states have you done the short-term rentals in yourself that you've experienced that i've rented that you have been the host or the owner of that you've been on yeah. that side of again i'm a i'm a colorado guy i'm a skier so it's all been here okay properties that have been here in colorado so it's you know and you get into different seasonality right like ski season's big for us uh, right now we call it shoulder season april or in May, the resorts are closed. It's the weather's terrible up there. Nobody wants to be up there. And then when you get into the summer season, when the weather gets nice, the, this, the, you know, the the rental activity picks up again. But my experience is all in Colorado directly. Okay. So, what tips or advice would you have for people that that want to get into this business to help them run their operations smoothly? <laughs> yeah. No, I would. I mean, I'm. I, I've had a. You know, I've had generally a very good experience. We talked about kind of from a real estate investment perspective, there was my second property that kind of took some time to come back. But, you know, I think 
you know, short-term rentals, particularly from a lifestyle style perspective, there's a place you like to go or maybe a place you want to retire to. That's, that's often what people will do is say, you know what, I want to get in that real estate market. A lot of these resort markets, you know, or real estate prices in general, they keep going up and up. So short-term renting is a great way to kind of get control of a real estate asset, make a purchase and really have your guests uh, pay for that, you know, pay for the cost of owning that property. And that, that was really our story with the first one, which was a tremendous success. And we didn't really have to put money into it. The, the short-term rent um, paid for it. So I would just encourage, you know, encourage people to do it, maybe take the plunge. I think the other big decision point when you're doing short-term rentals is do you really want to take on managing it yourself? Because there's, there's extra work to that and there's some extra things you need to do. Uh, and that can be a great option. I manage myself just because I, don't, you know, I'm familiar with it. I'm comfortable with it. I don't have to pay a real estate commission or management fee. Um, but then there's some people that want they don't have the time or they don't really want to dive in and deal with the details. You can hire a property manager. So if you're going to do it, make a decision. You want to hire a property manager, and they're going to take you know they're going to take a management fee, which is anywhere from 15 to 20 percent of rent on the low end to you know 40 percent on the high end. But for a lot of people, that's just a better option because they can be very passive. They can just buy the property, have a management company deal with it, and they can just sit back and collect you know, net commission, you know, net rent checks at the end of the day versus self-managing, maybe economically more attractive, but there's, there's more work involved. Yeah, that's great that you mentioned kind of the reason why some people get into it because that brings to mind a client that I had or have, I guess, still, still friends. Um, they came to me looking for a condo in Dana Point because they knew they wanted to vacation here. And as I got to know them, I learned, you know, home for them is Northern California, but they're traveling so much. They spend time in their Palm Springs home and then here in Dana Point and they have places in Florida and they even have a condo in France, like on the French Riviera, but they rent them out. And so that they get paid for by the guests and then they can go and visit them when they want. I'm like, that is brilliant. I haven't yeah, taken that on, but yeah, it's interesting. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, we have customers and, and I go to short-term rental conferences. I've been in the industry for a while. So I, I meet and talk to different people. There, there are many people and we have many customers that have kind of built um, an investment strategy around short-term rentals and they'll do that. They'll, and often, you know, it starts with one, right? And, and the place you like to go, but then you realize, boy, this works and you buy a second and you buy a third. So um, we know people that have started with one property and have, have assembled, you know, 20, 30 properties uh, that they're managing. And then again, using the short-term rental marketplace and the rents to really fund the, the cost of ownership. Yeah, it's a, it's a neat idea. Well, and here in Dana Point, they're no longer issuing the short-term rental permits as of a couple right. of years ago. So she's just renting minimum 30 days. So she's compliant, but she's renting it out to people. There's plenty of people that are happy to come to Dana Point January through April to escape the snow wherever they live. Or maybe they want to come rent June through August, you know, and enjoy the summer, just like in Colorado. Those of us that live somewhere think, oh, it's not the best season, but there's plenty of people that still want to come uh, many times of the year. So yeah, don't just dismiss that as a... Yeah, I, I've had in my Vail properties in the summer in particular, a lot of people from Texas to come just to escape the heat. You know, it's 70, 75 degrees in Colorado mountains in the summer. It's 10 degrees in Houston. So yeah, away from that environment. 
and I hear that there's a huge influx of Arizona Arizonians that come to Southern California to escape the heat too. Right. Or the people, Palm Springs in the winter and then coast in the summer. Like, hey, people are weather sensitive, especially the older we get, the more money we have and we can choose where we are. <laughs> so. All right, well, why don't you um, talk to us a little bit more about what your company does? Maybe. Sure got a little bit of you know why we why you founded it but yeah you can talk a little bit about that and what you do with the company yeah absolutely so you know I founded the company um, in 2003 um, and, and really the inspiration was you know, we just cover you know short-term rentals have been a great uh, option great activity for travelers and property owners but on every transaction there is a you know occupancy tax or room tax piece and it's something when we started doing this, we realized just a lot of people don't know about. So we created a company and really a solution that, that makes that very, very simple people that want to be engaged in short-term renting and they want to make sure they're registered, they have the licenses, all the paperwork completed on time, and they're collecting and paying their correct taxes. So that's what we do. That's what our solution covers. And we're not, you know, we're not consultants. We're not necessarily, you know, bookkeepers. This is software and technology that we built that manages these requirements all over the US for any location. And so for $20 a month, it's just a, it's a monthly subscription. It's all hosted in the cloud. Um, you know, we handle all the different requirements of tax rates, tax filings, paperwork, everything that's required to be legally operating and collecting and paying these taxes. So is that $20 a month per person, like per host, or is that per property, or how does that yeah, work? that's per property, that's per okay. property. And we certainly have, I mean, you know, a lot of our customers have one property, most have one property, but we also support, you know, very large travel companies like Expedia, we support, you know, hotel companies, extend say hotels. Um, so we have solutions that run the gamut. So, I mean, if there's larger operators out there, we have, you know, we have pricing that kind of scales and it's, and, and it, um, you know, kind of grows and, and meets their situation. Oh, interesting. So do you um, know any stories or case studies where people haven't been compliant and what can happen if you're not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we, we don't like to talk about it too much, but certainly, uh, you know, this is a legal requirement, collecting these taxes and, you know, increasingly cities are getting more kind of aware and more aggressive about collecting these taxes. So it's, it's you know, audits are on the rise, you know, people that are on short-term rental sites, I mean, it's pretty obvious when you think about it, you have a basically a public advertisement out there that anybody can, click around and rent your property. So it's not too difficult for a tax collector to go onto these sites and, and, and find these properties and follow up. So, you know, it's not, you know, these things happen. It, it's, it's a financial issue. There's no, no criminal issues here. It just means, you know, cities can pursue you for back tax plus penalties and interest. And it can be, it, it can be significant. And we, yeah, we've seen, you know, we've seen different cases. We've seen very high end luxury homes that rent for, you know, five to 10,000 a night, right? That's a big dollar case. And we've seen, you know, the single, the, the studio, one bedroom, that, that's low dollar case. But um, yeah, we've seen lots of issues where people have to pay back taxes and penalties. And, you know, it can get a little bit more severe than that. But um, th that certainly happens. And, and something, if people are doing this, they need to be thinking about and, you know, paying attention to. Yeah, I'm sure plenty of people when they start out, I'm, I've met people who have entrepreneurial ventures that 
maybe they make something and make a product and sell it or met a lady that was like selling her stuff at little craft fairs and the swap meet. And she was like starting to bring in a lot of money. And I said right. something about, oh yeah, and, and taxes. And she goes, taxes? <laughs> like A lot of people, it doesn't even cross their mind because they're, they're not in it. I'm sure it's the same thing with the vacation rental. They just think, oh, I'm going to put it up on VRBO and do it. And no, there's, there's lots of taxes between them. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's, it's, and people are just unknowing. And we were, when we started and, and, you know, my wife and I are both CPAs in our background. We, and, and, you know, so we, in, in theory, we should know this, but it took us a few months to realize like, wait, we need to be collecting and paying these taxes. So I think, you know, again, it's just something people haven't dealt with, but if they're in this marketplace, like any other marketplace, there's typically some sort of tax that needs to be collected and paid. Yeah. Well, do you have any other tips that you'd like to share that um, helps people stay compliant with the taxes? You know, my only tip is, I guess, two things. One, just, you know, pay attention to the rules. If you, if you purchase a short-term rental property, you know, make sure you check with the city before you purchase. Like you said, Dana Point, you know, is not issuing any more short-term rental permits. You got to you got to look into those types of rules to make sure you're not buying your, your property based on the economics of short-term rent that may mm -hmm. be prohibited or maybe kind of heavily restricted in the moment. So certainly check out that. And then, you know, for, for do-it-yourselfers, I always recommend just be aware of the issue. Check with your city, county, and state with the tax requirements. Um, do the research. Uh, make some phone calls. It takes time. Or certainly the other option is, you know, we're going to handle that all on people's behalf. Um, you know, take care of them, take care of it for them for that, you know, $20 a month fee. Yeah, it sounds like a very reasonable fee for that peace of mind that you don't have to worry about someone coming knocking on your door later and you don't know about something because I'm quite sure just because you didn't know about the taxes, you're not liable for them. Um, if I said that right, just because you didn't know doesn't mean you're not liable. You've got to pay them. So just because you didn't collect them doesn't mean you've got to you that's right. The There's an old expression, ignorance is no excuse for the law. Right, that's for sure. Well, listeners, today Rob has put together for us um, a, our free download is 10 tips to help short-term rental hosts stay compliant with lodging taxes. So if you'd like to get that, um, just go to hardhatholly.com forward slash 126 because we're show number 126. So hardhatholly.com forward slash 126. You can also get it by shooting a text on your phone. If you're listening to this podcast on your smartphone, whip out your phone and send a text to the number 38470. That's 38470. You're going to text hard hat with no space between the hard and hat, hard hat to 38470. And I will send you back the link to this download as well as our past downloads. And you'll get a notification once a week of when our new podcasts are live. So Rob, how do people get in touch with you? People that want to buy this very inexpensive peace of mind for $20 a month. How do they do that? Sure. So the best place I would say is visit our website. And then there's, you know, you can ask questions or send emails or, or you know, contact information, phone numbers are on the website. So that's mylodgetax.com. So that's my, M-Y-L-O-D-G-E-T-A-X.com. So mylodgetax.com has all the information you need. Perfect. So listeners, if you are thinking of jumping into the short-term rental game, or you already are, and it's time to get compliant, go to mylodgetax.com and 
um, get connected with Rob's great company that will help you sleep better at night and not worry about the tax man knocking on your door in the future, <laughs> trying to collect all the back taxes you haven't paid because you didn't know. Amen. So, well, Rob, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Stay warm there in Colorado. And um, any parting words of advice or any final words you'd like to say? No, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And the snow will melt here today. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. Listeners, get out there, take some action. And if short-term rentals are the way for you to go, get educated and get connected with Rob's company. Thanks so much for listening and make it a great day. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show. And let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com. 